right now. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports zone by David Cobb of CBSSports.com. And, David, always good to have you. Appreciate it. And I was just talking about UCLA certainly regaining control of the Pac-12 with three, week, uh, three weeks to go in the uh, re- three weeks remaining in the regular season. How does Mick Cronin's team kind of compare nationally, in your opinion, to the other top teams? Yeah, I think they're getting swept on a little bit nationally, probably because of the late tip times on the West Coast. Not as much as the country has seen them play, and then they kind of fell off. You know, early on in November, they're they're multi-team November event. They didn't play well in that. They suffered a couple of losses, and their defense was not up to par early this season. But, man, over the last six, eight weeks, uh, their defense has really been one of the best in the country. And now you're starting to see Amari Bailey uh, come on strong as well, the five-star freshman guard. So, yeah, UCLA is on a heater right now. And and if if I had to guess, I I would say there's a, a good chance that the Bruins end up as the number one seed. Uh, and they'd be in the West, which would be a big deal for them, right? Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. So, yeah, Cronin's, Cronin's guys have got it going. Uh, there's no doubt, man. They, have, they, they they had all the ingredients. It just took them a little while to put it together, and now they are um, in pole position to, to emerge as the Pac-12 champion and, and make another run. All right, the University of Arizona, they had won seven in a row, and then on Saturday night, they allowed 88 points and 61% shooting to Stanford. Uh, reason for concern or no big deal? <laughs> yeah, I would say there's a little reason for concern there. We we know Stanford is is not good. This is likely the end, it would seem, for Gerard Haas there. So it's uh, a concerning loss because it's, it's uh, a little bit of a trend now for, for Arizona. You go back to the uh, home loss to Washington State. And it just feels like that there is uh, a higher than than uh, higher chance than you would like for for Arizona to go out and kind of produce a dud. Like, make no mistake, when Arizona is at its best, they are one of the best teams to watch in the country. That offense can be super fun. Uh, I love the way uh, that that program has responded to Tommy Lloyd's coaching the last two seasons. But in terms of like feeling confident that Arizona can make a deep NCAA tournament run. Yeah, I do think that the, those random poor performances now that we've seen, particularly against Washington State and, and Stanford, yeah, they're, they're going to give me some pause uh, when I'm filling out my bracket just because it, they feel a little bit unpredictable in that way. Staying with the Pac-12, USC, not 100% physically. They were missing uh, their big center. Morgan was out again, but they had swept on the Oregon Trail last week, and that means losing at Oregon State. Is uh, the Pac-12 down to two teams in the NCAA tournament right now? It's it's really uh, there's a, a couple of scenarios that, that really vary here. I mean, in a in a disaster scenario, yeah, you could have UCLA and Arizona as your only teams. However, there, there's also a scenario where USC gets in, uh, where uh, Arizona State or Oregon uh, finish strong down the stretch and get in. So, I mean, I doubt I doubt Arizona State and Oregon would both uh, make it. But, you know, it seems like like four is within the realm of possibility or not all that preposterous for the Pac-12. But but two is a very real scenario as well. So uh, the league needs for USC and, and Arizona State and Oregon to pull it together here down the stretch or else it could be one of those years where they end up having a pretty lean representation in the dance. David Cobb of CBSSports.com, curling the sports zone as we go around college basketball. All right, away from the Pac-12, 
the Big East, uh, fun last night with Providence winning a double overtime against Creighton. Tonight it's Marquette and Xavier. Xavier shorthanded, obviously without Fremantle. Uh, those two teams tonight playing for first place. How would you break down and rank Providence, Creighton, Xavier, and Marquette? Yeah, it's a fun top half of the of the Big East this year. Uh, some of the teams that you historically would expect to be competitive uh, in that league, specifically, you know, Villanova and Georgetown, are really going through it this year and really aren't aren't factors at all. Uh, so maybe from a national standpoint, uh, you know, maybe we don't we don't recognize the names top that conference uh, quite as much. But Sean Miller's done an amazing job in year one back at Xavier. Shaka Smart has revitalized his career at Marquette and then you know UConn has been really uh, up and down uh, but but they are they are going to be a tough out in the NCAA tournament because they have they have all the talent and all the pieces and then look I mean Creighton uh, a team that, that went through a six great game losing streak early in the season they've been really good and, and got picked off last night obviously against Providence but I, I, I like that top half of the Big East and if I had to pick one that I like the most uh, it's probably Creighton and when you're filling out your bracket here in a few weeks, they would be a team that I would look at to uh, pencil in for the second weekend because they're probably only going to be like a five seed or a six seed because of their record. Uh, but you have to remember that some of those losses came when their when their star center uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner was out of the lineup. Since he's returned, Creighton's been been excellent, uh, e- even with of course a, a tough double overtime loss last night so uh, Creighton's going to be one of those teams you can impress your friends by by penciling them in to go deep in the tournament and, and they could get it done as a five or a six seed and it wouldn't be shocking okay I'm always looking to impress my friends plus I like Creighton also so good combination there uh, yeah. the a- the ACC Miami can score against pretty much anybody uh Duke and Carolina underachieving what do we think of that trio of teams yeah, it's it's a bad year again for for the ACC. I mean, I keep saying you know a bad year for uh, maybe the Pac-12, bad year maybe for the ACC. The SEC is is Alabama and, and a bunch of uh, nobodies. You know, so so who really is good in college basketball right now in terms of a conference wide you know uh, situation? I guess certainly the Big Twelve is. But yeah, I I, I don't know uh, exactly what to make of of what's going on in the ACC. You got a first year coach at Duke and John Shire. With a freshman laden roster, and it's taking them a while to figure it out, uh, moving away from from Mike Krzyzewski. I mean, I guess the, the stunning storyline that sticks out in the ACC is just North Carolina. Uh, I, I would say on the wrong side of the bubble with five games left in the regular season. After they were the the preseason number one in the AP poll, after they made the national title game last season and returned four out of five starters, it's just stunning uh, that they have been so unable. Uh, to get it figured out and going in the right direction. So uh, that that's what sticks out to me about the ACC. And yeah, you give uh, Miami and Virginia some credit, though. I mean, those, those teams uh, will be dangerous in March. Uh, they are very different, but Miami can beat you with their guards and their up-tempo style. Virginia, as per usual, Tony Bennett uh, slows you down, plays really good defense. Those are the two teams that I think are threats out of the ACC. I think what, what Duke is trying to do, relying so heavily on so many freshmen in this era is more difficult now than ever because 10 years ago there were a lot of uh, one-and-done oriented teams having success. But college basketball has gotten older, and I don't necessarily see a scenario where where Duke makes a lot of noise down the stretch. 
Okay, I'm going to ask you about one more bad team, and I promise we'll get to some good stuff here shortly. Uh, but I watched you, Illinois last night. They drive me nuts. They allowed 93 points to Penn State. I think Illinois should be better. Am I wrong about that? And, you know, don't hesitate to criticize me and tell me I'm nuts if I'm wrong. No, they're emblematic of the Big Ten as a whole in the sense that you want to you wanna, uh, feel like they've got it coming together, and then all of a sudden they fall apart. I mean, Rutgers is another team like that that lost at home last night to Nebraska after looking like yeah. they might be one of the better teams in the league. And so – Outside of Purdue, which, oh, by the way, Purdue's lost two out of three as well, uh, it, it's really difficult to uh, find a team in the Big Ten that you can consistently roll with. But they're going to have a large volume of teams to make the NCAA tournament. And Illinois can be dangerous uh, come the NCAA tournament because they have a couple of guys who can really go off. I mean, in particular, Terrence Shannon has some nights where he's borderline unstoppable. But uh, the thing that, that's really hurt Illinois this season and kept Illinois from developing consistency has been the lack of high-quality guard play. And that was not helped when their their top freshman, Sky Clark, had to step mm-hmm. away from the program you know, a few weeks back. And so they're not all that deep, uh, and it's a new team that's still gelling with a bunch of transfers playing key roles in key minutes. So uh, that doesn't – you know, they can kind of kind – of, get on the right path headed into March, you can get through March playing a, a six- or seven-man rotation. We saw North Carolina do that last season. So uh, just can, can they get there with any momentum? Can they get there uh, playing decent basketball? If so, then, then I, I think Illinois has a chance to make some noise. But uh, they, they certainly had trouble gelling and uh, getting consistent guard play and, and having enough depth, depth to put uh, a good run together in the Big Ten. Talking college basketball with David Cobb of CBSSports.com. All right, certainly some interesting games tonight. Let's start with top-ranked Alabama against Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has some uh, you know, nice metrics, but they got some really bad losses. Uh, <laughs> is Alabama, which is unbeaten in the SEC, are they the, or is Alabama the best team in the nation? And also, what should we be looking for tonight, Alabama-Tennessee? Yeah, I believe Alabama is the best team in the nation. There's so many different ways that they can beat you. They're really good defensively, and they're really good offensively. And they've got a lot of uh, versatile weapons on their team. I'll give you one example of why Alabama, I think, is the best team in the country. Brandon Miller, the star freshman, best player on that team, likely NBA lottery pick, he can go 0 for 7 from three-point range, which is his best skill. And Alabama can still beat you by double digits because uh, even when he is off, one, he finds other ways to contribute and be effective defense, rebounding, uh, getting to the free throw line. He doesn't let a poor shooting night affect his overall game. And then Alabama has enough other weapons to where when he scores below his average or has a bad offensive night, uh, they can still uh, make up for that production elsewhere. And that's just a sign of their depth and sign of their culture, too. seems like Nate Oates has the perfect type of roster right now. It's deep. He's got a good mix of veterans and really talented freshmen. Uh, and these guys seem to be totally okay with their roles and what's asked of them. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of hero ball. There doesn't seem to be any jealousy over roles. Um, and they, they play both sides of the ball. So there was that random aberration where Alabama lost by 24 at Oklahoma. And can't explain that one uh, other than they had a bad offensive game and a bad defensive game at the same time. And I just don't think that's going to happen all that often with Alabama. So, uh, yeah, tough spot going on the road tonight. Tough 10, top 10 game against Tennessee. But, 
I do think I actually like Alabama as an underdog uh, tonight yeah. because uh, Tennessee could be without uh, Josiah Jordan-James and Julian Phillips, who are, are mm. two of their more uh, rangy, lengthy, athletic perimeter defenders. And this is not an Alabama team that you want to be missing those types of guys you know, when you're playing against. Also tonight, TCU is at Iowa State. Uh, first up, do we know what's up with Mike Miles? Uh, how far can they go if and when he comes back? And Iowa State, is it's just the inept offense kind of catching up with them. <laughs> yeah, the, you, you're really seeing the, the Big 12, I think, start to have a little bit of separation at the top. You know, there was a minute there where it seemed like, like six teams uh, might all be in the running come the final weekend of the regular season. But, uh, you know, you, you got Texas, uh, Baylor, and Kansas now tied atop the league. And TCU and Iowa State have probably regressed to about where we thought they would be entering the season, which is NCAA tournament caliber, but not quite conference title uh, caliber. So, yeah, Mike Miles being out has been a huge hindrance for TCU. Uh, I heard yesterday he was at practice, looked good at practice, participating in all that we'll see if he can go tonight uh, obviously that's a, a huge going to have a huge impact on uh, the way that game plays out but yeah I mean ultimately for both of these teams you're just trying to hold on keep some semblance of momentum together uh, and just get to the postseason um, healthy-ish and feeling somewhat good about yourself uh, it's similar to Illinois you know uh, you've gone through it with injuries you're not all that deep to begin with you're playing a tough league um, can you just keep keep it together here down the stretch? So big game tonight for, for both of those teams. So the winner is going to feel a lot better about themselves coming down the stretch entering the postseason. Okay, one more game. Indiana's another team. Never totally healthy, seemingly, unfortunately. But they've certainly turned it around. They play tonight at Northwestern. And Northwestern's coming off the uh, Sunday historic win against Purdue. Is tonight a letdown spot for Northwestern? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Indiana is very good team. They're, they're putting it together. They are, in my mind, that clear-cut second-best team now in the Big Ten behind Rutgers. Uh, excuse me, behind Purdue, not Rutgers. Uh, so yeah, Indiana is is a another one of those teams. I would put them in that in that same category as Creighton in the sense of hey, they're probably not going to be a, a, a three seed, or certainly not any better than that. They might be a four, a five, a six, even in the NCAA tournament, but you can have faith in them to potentially make a run because uh, the fact is you know, their struggles were early in the season when they were going through injury problems. Uh, they have, they've missed Xavier Johnson, Race Thompson, uh, Jalen Hustrofino, all very important players who have all missed certain stretches of this year. Now they're getting all these guys back healthy playing together, and you're starting to see how good they can be. So, uh, yeah, when, when, when your bracket comes out in a few weeks, Indiana's not going to be near the top, but they're going to be playing – uh, I would say, like, one of the best teams in the country. So, uh, yeah, this is a spot tonight where, where Northwestern, uh, coming off that big win over Purdue, uh, boy, uh, it's going to be tough to string together consecutive victories over the best teams uh, in the Big Ten. Did they get everybody off the court from the court storming on Sunday to play the game tonight? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, nice to have the, another, another home game. Uh, I'm sure ticket sales are through the roof after – uh, yeah. You knock off number one, and 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 for Northwestern, they clinch your spot in the, in the big dance. And Chris Collins, heck, he may have saved his job, uh, you know, with the job he's done this year and winning that game. So uh, kudos to him, man. It's fun to see that program uh, kind of come back to life. Yeah, I, I used to be a Northwestern season ticket holder when I actually did the syndicated radio in Chicago, 
And there, I'm sure there's plenty of tickets sold long before this game or before Sunday because the IU fans come out like every every IU fan in Chicago shows up for this game every year. So. <laughs> yeah, it should be a, a fun atmosphere, uh, low-key tonight. You know, you don't necessarily think of Northwestern as having a, a Rockets home court advantage, but I bet they will tonight. Yeah, in fact, I was at the Kevin O'Neill-Bob Knight almost got into a brawl game back in the day. That was uh, oh, wow. quite, a, quite a few years ago. It was uh, – you know, the, the, the handshake thing did not go as planned <laughs> at that point. Well, so. hey, maybe Chris Collins and, uh, and Mike Woodson will uh, will uh, throw some hands tonight, you know? There you go. I mean, I, you know, I can't make much of a connection between Collins and O'Neill, but Woodson and Bob Knight we can for sure. So, <laughs> yeah. so there we go. David, great stuff. I really appreciate it. Look forward to doing this again be, uh, during the tournament and uh, before. And, uh, you know, thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. David Cobb, CBSSports.com. Excellent stuff.